this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all I need. Okay, John chapter 12, and we are in um, last week of Jesus. Do you know John, the gospel, he writes over half his gospel on the last week of Jesus. I didn't know that. Over half the gospel is, is Jesus' last week. I mean, that's pretty busy. Jesus is busy the last week. And, and we are in um, the timing right now. We, we have seen him um, handle the Pharisees and have such difficulties with them. And then he recluses to the Jordan. And then they talk about John the Baptist. And then, and then Lazarus dies. And uh, he goes back. And, and uh, we have that story. And so... Now we have seen the difference between, um, well, we've seen how Jesus can, can raise someone from the dead, and his timing is perfect. Um, all these lessons we, we have seen in these last chapters, and we've seen the difference between how Martha handled it and how Mary handled it. And now we're going to go into this chapter, and I really feel that Mary, he, she, she is such an extraordinary, special woman of God. And it's so good, John wrote, that even if you are strong in your love for him and you are walking with him, and, and but how quick human nature, human feelings, it can take over. It can take over our faith. And we have seen that there are only two roads. And when you're walking on the road of light, he said that, you know, when you're on the road of light for 12 hours, there's daylight and you don't stumble. When you're on the road with him and you're walking with him and you are listening and, and letting him light the path, even though you might not always like it or understand it, he said, you will know, you have confidence, you have assurance that he will never lead you toward the wrong place, even though it might be hard at the time, but he's got a reason for it. He's always up to something. Or you can, and this is what can happen so quickly, how quickly you can move off the road, which he says is the road of darkness, and then you stumble. And when you stumble, you remember what that means? What do we do when we stumble? I think it's, it's like worry and fear and, and um, well, self-pity maybe, um, but down, discouraged, defeated. That's stumbling. You're stumbling when, when, and I have seen a wake-up call in my own life. I could tell right away when, when the, when my mood changes. When all of a sudden I can feel the overwhelming, you know, like um, oh, like this week. Let me just tell you, uh, I am taking care of Jack Jordy's kids for a whole week, and 
tonight they come home. Can you tell? I'm smiling. And, and so um, I've been there, and Tom's been home. So I go back home, and I go back and forth. Four kids and a dog who, by the way, um, had a huge accident downstairs, and he also barfed over a whole bed, and I had to take all the sheets off and, and down to the mattress pad. And it has been, it has been a whirlwind. And my mom really chose this week to really not be real cordial and nice, and a little more demanding than. Um, um, so, uh, are you getting the picture? <laughs> And the Lord puts me in John chapter 11 and 12 and reminds me of, you know, it's so easy to get off on the wrong track and start stumbling. And, and you know, I caught myself because I was starting to just, I just started feeling sorry for myself. And I start blaming my age. I thought, I can't do this. I'm too old for this kind of stuff. And on and on. And, but then I saw how many eyes was in there. It was all about I and me. And then, and then you know, of course, I was still battling, you know, with this voice and that. And, and you know, I, and the Lord gives me the voice on the nights I'm teaching. But but when I'm home, just every every sixth word comes out. And, and so no one's understanding me. And so it's just been one one a thing after another. And and I thought, you know, I really just I don't think I can take too much more. And then I thought, I'm stumbling. I'm stumbling. I'm stumbling over. Um, I'm feeling sorry for myself. Uh, and then all of a sudden, when I chose to stay on the road of light, his spirit kept feeding me. Uh, uh, you can do this, Linnell, through Christ who will give you the strength. And, and you can go in the strength of the Lord God. And he's one step ahead. And he, he knows, he knows your, your, your moments. He knows your frame. He knows you are but dust. He knows that. And so he wants to give you the strength and the power. And I'm telling you, it does work. You not only have we been saved through Jesus' blood, we've been given his spirit to remind us what we've learned. And there's no need to fall into these, these moods of defeat and, and crabby, because that's what was starting to come. I was starting to get a little crabby. And that dog almost got the best of me. <laughs> But no, Kelvin's still in good shape. And, and uh, <laughs> so, anyways, and, and then I got a ninth grader on the basketball team. And, you know, he wants to, you, you got to take him here and practice here. And, and it's just been a whirlwind. And I am so grateful for our God's word who keeps bringing me back to where, where because this is, how are you, what are these Bible studies for, anyway? You know, this is, what are they for? They're for you and me living in our normal lives. You know, this is to help us not so that we are smarter spiritually and we can rattle off, you know, a bunch of religious, more jargon. No, these studies are using real life people 
and, and Jesus proving why he's doing what he's doing. Remember when, when Lazarus, you know, he said to his disciples, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad I waited. I mean, you know, when he said, I'm glad, I'm glad I waited because you are going to believe more. You're going to know me more. So if we just had everything, you know, oh, just perfectly, you wouldn't, you wouldn't look at John saying, that's me. I mean, this is, this is the um, response that needs to um, come from me. He's teaching me how to live life in the middle of it all. And this is why I'm hoping you see that it, it too, it isn't just so that we can say, well, we belong to a Bible study and, and we're, you know, we're really learning a lot. But learning, it's not just being hearers and learning it. Proverbs said, you're a wise person when you hear it and you learn it and then you live it. And that's when you can live this, these principles in your own life with people that maybe, I mean, I, I couldn't get over the change in me when I made that choice. Get off that road that you're stumbling. You are getting, you are just, just floundering. Get back on the road of light. And, he, you know, and the Lord, I know he was saying, and I'm glad that all happened to you. I really, I mean, if he could say, I'm glad that I waited for Lazarus to die, he's saying to me, and I'm glad that all happened to you, Linnell. Because you are learning how to live sometimes the, the most, um, when you're under the most pressure and you're being pulled from every angle. Everybody needs you all at one time. And you think, Kill gone bath. Or, you know, remember that ad, you know? <laughs> Just leave me alone. I'm locking the door. Just 10 minutes. No one needs me. I don't want to hear mom, and I don't want to hear grandma. <laughs> And I don't want to have a bell ringing. I just don't. <laughs> and you know you felt the same way I felt. I am standing here admitting, but every one of you know and have been there where you just think, that's it. So he's saying, all right, now let me remind you that I am wanting you to believe in me more. And when are we going to believe more is when he's right in the middle of it all with us. And when we find he is sufficient and he really is there and he really will change your course of direction if you want it, it really works. This really, really works. Bible study works. And, if, you know, and, and I have admitted so much to you in the last few weeks, this month of January, and I think it's because I needed to get deeper in my belief of him. Believe is the key word, and it's so easy to say that we believe, but when we're in the middle of it all, do we really let him feed us with the words? You know, do we really believe that he says, I'm glad this is happening to you. I'm glad this is, because I want you to know me more, and you wouldn't have known me as much. So, now, 
So six days later, six days before, oh, well, not six days later, I think six days before Passover means that I think Lazarus was probably just raised from the dead. We'll we'll remember, we're in the last week of Jesus, and now it's six days before the Passover. And so you know that that this is happening quick. So Lazarus was just raised, and so Jesus arrived. He was invited to um, the home where Lazarus lived in Bethany. And here a dinner was given in his honor. You know, I stopped there because I think, I don't know if I knew what was ahead. If you aren't sure of your mission, if you aren't sure in, in what he's promised, if you aren't sure of who you are in Christ Jesus, you throw in the towel. And I think of Jesus, I mean, we know in Hebrews it says, but for the joy that awaited him. He endured the cross. He endured because he knew what was coming. We have to have something to believe in and hold on to and trust. Because here he is, six days before it's all going to happen, and he's going to a party in his honor. I mean, I, I don't think it's party time. I'm sure he doesn't feel like, you know, even honoring his name, you know, his name, he, he, But you know, he doesn't want to miss one opportunity. Oh, I love that. I love that lesson there. We just want to recluse. We, when things are, when we're in the middle of the worst of times, when, when, when we know that, you know, this is not going to be something that's going to come we're going to get out of soon or whatever. We just have a tendency to, let's just, let's just be by ourselves. Let's just stay in here. Let's not. I'm thinking, you know, sometimes when we don't want, I always say with, with Bible study, if you feel like you don't want to come to Bible study, if you ever, if you ever feel some Monday night, and I know it gets cold and I know it gets snowy and I know that some of these, you know, and, and you're tired, some of you worked all day, and it's so easy to say, I think I'm just going to stay home. I had one gal say, my husband, I always tell him, don't make a fire in the fireplace and when, on Monday night when I come home because I know that if I see that and I smell dinner, I'm not going anywhere from a long day, you know. But she said she is learning that if she doesn't come, you know, you have to want, you've got a desire, you want to you learn. And so if you ever don't want to come to Bible study, and if you don't have a good reason, if it's just a flimsy excuse, if it's something that's, you know, pampering you or whatever, that's when you need it the most. If you don't want to come to Bible study, that's when you need it the most. Because if you know how much you need it, you're going to be, you're going to be, get, you can't wait to get here. I mean, you know your Bible is what's going to feed you. And when you don't really want to go there because you just kind of want to stay on that dark road of stumbling because it just, you just feel it's something you deserve after all. 
you, you are doing yourself such an injustice. I mean, wallowing and feeling discouraged and feeling despair and hopelessness. I'm telling you, you think about how effective you are, not only for yourself, but for people who are watching you. If somehow you can rise above, if you can get into that, that point of, of just trusting him and saying, I can't, but you can. And when you really want to hear his spirit, because that's what he's promised, not only to bring you to salvation, but then to be with you so you will listen to his voice and follow his way. And his way is never a self-pity way. Never. And we'll miss, we'll miss what he's got for us. And so Jesus, I think he's our best example no self-pity, no, I mean, we're going to hear his heart, we're going to hear his human, his human saying, oh, I would love to have this pass from me. I mean, he's honest. There's none of us that want suffering. But if we can get to the point where we know that the result of suffering is always going to be a good thing. If we let it, I mean, wonder if Jesus, you know, and he could have because he was equal Godhead. Wonder if he said, nah, I don't want to go through that. And I don't really have to. You know, we would, we would all, oh, his suffering, it warranted our salvation. Sometimes when we're going through some of our suffering, you know, that's when, when it's the most obvious to people that you really know him. And that, to me, is the best compliment we can give to our Savior, is when someone can look at us and say, she or he really knows him. That thing, that what Martha said last week, oh, this is what I would love to have had you do, Jesus, but even now, I know I know, and that's what tonight we sang it. I surrender all. So now we have Jesus who's at the house and he's there with um with different guests and and he's and Lazarus is reclining at the at the table and and that had been quite a sight. Martha's serving. And Lazarus, he had me remember when he arose, when he was resurrected, he was resurrected back to his regular self. You know, it's all the same. He looked the same. Before he was sick, he looked the same. And so you, you have quite a setting, you know? And Martha, oh, she's having the best time. She's serving, and then, and then Mary, she came, took a pint of pure nard and an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his hair and wiped them with her hair. Now, I think. 
think you've got to put yourself in this story. You know, everybody's excited because Lazarus is alive, probably for, from a day before or whatever, and Martha's serving, and, and everything is just, oh, everything is, is a party mood, kind of. Jesus, we can't thank you enough for all you've done. And then here comes Mary, and what a sight that must have been. And she comes, why? Why did she, why, did, why of all times did she do this now? She is, um, I mean, this, this and John writes, because look, it not only was expensive, but what does he say? And the house was filled with this fragrance of the perfume. It must have been glorious smell. You know, he wrote this years later. And yet, when he's writing it, you know, he's, he's remembering not only was that a sight to watch, in the middle of this atmosphere, all of a sudden Mary comes in, and there, I mean, feet, come on, feet. It's so, you know, this, all, this, all, the, all these details are, are, are perfect because feet are what the lowliest of slaves do for people when they come is to clean their feet. Now, I, I'm not going to check your feet, and I would never even ask you, but for the most part, can you honestly say your feet are the prettiest thing on your body? <laughs> Especially old feet. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, I got flat feet, I've got a corn. Um, um, my aunt has a hammer toe, and that's really something to see. And so, you know, there's so much about feet that really not attractive. And I'm only, I'm only taking the time, and I don't mean to be silly. I'm trying to get you to see that this was, this was quite a picture to watch. She's taking this beautiful perfume, very expensive perfume, and she's pouring it on Jesus' feet. She is showing, she feels, look at, she has, she has put herself in a position of the lowliest of the low. Could it be, could it be that John wrote this in order so that we can see that because Mary was a beautiful God-fearing woman, but she slipped off because she let the mourners and all the grief overtake her. And then when Jesus asked for her, she jumped up quickly and went. And even she even remembers, I'm sure, that she didn't say to Jesus, but even now I know. She was still caught in her. She was still caught in. If you wouldn't, if you had come, my brother wouldn't have died. And I don't think that all of Mary's tears were just such um, laws for her brother. But I think some of it was. They're just a little mad too. She was upset with Jesus after all what they had done as a as a group, as the three of them and Jesus. They were. Tight. 
And then I don't know, after the whole thing transpired, did she go home and did she realize what she did? Like, how could I doubt him? How could I think that he, in his love for me, why would I think that he doesn't know best? How could I forget how faithful he is? How could I forget that, that he came to save the lost? And, and I'm one of them. I mean, you know, you wonder when she went back and thought it through, I wonder if she, the time, she, I personally think, because I went deep in this story, and, and, and admit that I went off the road a little bit and stumbled and realized that it was not attractive and it was not something I wanted someone else to see. I could talk it with my mouth and yet, when you think about it and you think, oh, I, I think she's so sorry. I think she is so sorry. And she in some way wants to show her love for Jesus, her thankfulness for, for, for who he is and what he's done in her life. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm making too much into this. I don't know. But the timing to me is that she, is, she loves Jesus. We know that. And it shows any one of us at any given time when life wants to overwhelm us. Now I pray that now the Lord can show me, nope, you're getting off the wrong road and you are stumbling. No wonder you're so crappy. When you get back on the road and she is on the back on the right road and she said how can I show him so she has this pouring out I think not only of perfume but the pouring out of herself it was it was a sight <laughs> but one of the disciples, and John, remember, he was writing this later. And at the time, at the time, you know, I think they just thought Judas was, you know, he's one of those downers. He's the one that's, you know, he's always negative. And, and they, they had no idea. And we know that from the Last Supper. We know that he, that he did, that other ones, you know, when she said, one of you will betray me. And, and remember how they all said, is it I, Lord? Is it I? Not once did you hear from Scripture that they said, oh, we know exactly who it is. So John, he's writing this after the fact. And I'm sure, you know, he's saying after the fact, of course it was Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Of course, now I'm seeing that the heart makes such a difference. The heart of Mary versus the heart of Judas. Even though your heart is right with the Lord, we can still fall into our own self and then we, and it's, the consequences are not good, but we get back on. But Judas, Judas had a bad, rotten heart, and he had every opportunity that the others did. 
So now John says, he's the one that said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And then John had to, he, he had to put this in. He did not say this because he cared about the poor. He was a thief, a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Yeah. See, John wants to make sure we, we now know when you have a bad heart, then you're going to, it's going to come out. It's going to come out in, in the way you act and think and even in the little things. And Jesus pipes up, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Huh. I thought, I read that over and over, and I thought, did she get this? It's what well, he said. It was intended that she save this perfume for his burial. Well, we know that the burial happened, you know, right at the Passover time and Nicodemus and, and Joseph had to quick get him in the cave and they did the best they could. They had they had stuff, they had they had things, but but the women, remember on that third third morning, they came and what did they have? They had all the stuff. I bet they had their baskets and they were gonna take care of Jesus properly. And maybe, maybe, you know, it was intended that she was going to be a part of this and she wanted Jesus' burial. She wanted him to be buried and, and be anointed with this beautiful perfume. But somehow, for some reason, I think it's, it's Mary just wanted to say, you know, I'm not going to wait. I, I want him to know now when he's alive. I want him to know how much I love him. And I'm going to anoint him here. Well, timing is so perfect because if she would have waited... She had to go home with the, with the stuff. She would have gone home with the perfume because Jesus wasn't there. So it might have been intended she saved this perfume, but because of her heart, because of the Holy Spirit's probably, you know, saying, use it now, he can use it now. He, he, she anointed him for burial, all right. Now, we know Jesus always, always taught that we are to take care of the less fortunate. But he says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I think we're going to see this two times in this lesson where Jesus says, you know what, you can do good deeds but if you aren't doing the good deeds because of your relationship with me, then you're doing the good deeds for you. He's 
always checking our motive because we love to do good deeds, but we always have to check. Last year in Matthew, remember Matthew, um, Jesus taught, and, Mar- and Matthew wrote it down to always check our, our motive. And here it says, you will always have the poor, but you will not always have me, and you need to get your life right with me first. I think this is the only time you can really, and this isn't really selfish, but usually you don't say, you know, put yourself aside. But when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, you do have to take that as your number one, your number one um, need. I mean, take care, take care of this relationship. This is when, you know, you can put all else aside, just get your life right with him, and then you'll watch how he takes the rest of your life and work it. Then, well, we'll, we'll get to that too. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. This poor guy, I bet he thought he was a circus act. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, everybody, I'd probably have been guilty. I don't want to, I would have wanted to see him. You know, I would, I would have wanted to see how different he looked or whatever, and you know, I would even probably try to touch him. I mean, this was an amazing miracle that happened. So you got this, you know, people are parading by and they're, they're trying to get a glimpse of him. And well, those chief priests, those chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. How terrible is that? Because if they go to him, what about me? This is such a, if you want to see the ugliness of self, when you have John the Baptist, remember when they were reminiscing John the Baptist two weeks ago, you know, and, and we were saying how this, oh, remember how when, 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 his, when his men came to him and said, hey, you know, you better sharpen up because, you know, people are leaving you and going to him. And he broke out into a smile and said, that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, there's a different heart, though. You know, there's a whole different heart, a whole different purpose, a whole different reason for living. You know, John the Baptist knew exactly what he was here for and why. And the Pharisees, they wanted it all about them. And because they would not, they would not, even with how many ways did he try? And it was so obvious from scripture that they should have and did know, but they just didn't want to see how it worked together, how it was the truth and how it was prophecy fulfilled to the letter. They didn't want to. No, because it was all about them. And you know, some of the chief priests, this is what I can't figure out, some of the chief priests are Sadducees. You know, we know that Sadducees and Pharisees are really different, you know, two different sects. And, and boy, they came together. They, they hate each other usually, but they come together to get rid of Jesus. But Sadducees, they don't believe in the resurrection. So can you imagine, how are they explaining this one? 
You know, so I'm sure they're embarrassed. I'm sure that, you know, this whole thing can't be explained, you know. And, I mean, there sits Lazarus. He's, he's alive. He's eaten. He's, and yet they're so busy saying there's no such thing as resurrection. You know, so, so they're so bent out of shape. And the only way they know how to get rid of him is let's kill him. Which to me is such irony because you're talking religious leaders who are, who are taught, oh, shalt not kill. Well, let's see how we can get rid of this guy. I mean, you know, I tell you the heart. That one week we talked about the word believe last week. Believe. What do you really believe? Do you really believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord. He's asking us, confronting us face to face. Who do you say that I am? And who and what do you really believe this? Two things that will change the, everything about you. Well, <laughs> this week it's what kind of heart do you have? No. Next day, a great crowd had come for the feast, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. They shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? If you were if you were Jesus and you were, and you heard them shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he, the King of Israel. And Jesus is saying, Yes, yes. No, he wasn't. It's called the triumphant entry. And believe me, Jesus does not feel too triumphant. Now, it's triumphant entry, all right. It's because he's coming into town to what? Die for you and me. It's a triumphant entry, all right, for you and me. Now, when he comes back, that's going to be another story. I think that's going to be a triumphant entry that we will see him coming back in all of his glory be triumphant. But here, this triumphant entry, it is for you and me. And he's on a donkey. He's trying to come in with peace. And he's trying to say, I've come to save you. Yes. You're shouting, Hosanna, save me now. I am going to save you. I'm saving the part of you that that will live on the inside, your heart. I'm coming to change your heart. I'm coming to buy it back because it's lost. Oh, yes, I'm coming to save you. But all you care about is saving your skin because you just want to be comfortable and happy and you want me to make you such so that Rome is just done with you, that you can even... You can even, if I suppose if you wanted revenge, you could even shake your fist at them now for a change. You got it all wrong. But that's what they wanted to believe. And so at first, his disciples did not understand all this. See, now John is, re is writing this after many years. 
And he is admitting, he's saying, you know what, we, we spent three years with him, we saw a lot, we heard a lot, we experienced a lot, and yet the pieces all didn't come together at once. Quite a few times, I would dare say, when, when they became apostles and they were out in the different parts of the world, I wonder how many, aha, that's what he meant. I wonder how many moments that all of a sudden, that's what. So John writes, you know, all of this, we, didn't, we did not understand it all, only after Jesus was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. For, for you and me personally, what do you think? Why do you think that could be encouraging to us? Does he expect us all to know everything all at once? That's why we come every Monday night. That's why I say to you every day, read that chapter, read it every day. Be in this book. When you, when you don't want to go in it, that's when you need it the most. We, we meet because we need accountability. We want to learn and, and because we, we know we haven't arrived yet. We are teachable because we know that there's so much in this treasure chest. And John is saying that that's the way it is. You don't know everything, but the more that you commit your life to him and want to, want to work at it and want to serve him, and you want this relationship, like we said, that he loves you, you love him, you, he knows you, you know him, that's the kind of relationship. When you have that, then every day we will learn something more. That's why I always, I always I say many times when I pray or whatever, I say, Lord, help us when we leave here to know more about you than when we came. Because there's so much. And John is saying, we, we didn't know. It wasn't until after he left and, and, and went back to heaven did we really then figure that, oh, that's how these pieces are coming. I hope many times when you leave here, you say, oh, I I." saw that. I never saw that in that verse before. I, I saw this for the first time. I realized he was talking to me here. You know, I've been through John many times. I'm sure most of you have been through John many, many times, but there was something about this year that is just really showing us John is writing to you and me on how to live this life abundant and to the full. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. So, see, word was getting out, obviously. I mean, this wasn't an everyday occurrence. So, and many people, because they heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. See, another reason why Jesus said, and I'm glad I waited. See, we don't always understand why he makes us wait. We don't understand always the way he answers the prayer. 
in our request. We don't. We don't. He just says, are you going to trust that I know? Because look, even here, he's, look how many people are coming. And he's in this last week, and he's pull, pulling out all the stops, and he wants to make sure that for whatever reason, people are curious and want to know so that they can find him. So, and then look, it should have been a good thing, but verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. Some Greeks. Now, um, I don't know if they were Gentiles or whether they were Jews that lived in Greece and were classified Greeks, or but the, but I do I think they're Gentiles. And as uh, John wants to make sure we know that these Greeks, they went up to worship at the feast, and it could be that they're converted and they want to be a part of it. It could be that they're curious and have heard and they're nosy. <laughs> we, we don't really know, but it, does that really matter? They come. Sometimes people will say, um, um, I'm, I'm coming to Bible study, um, but I'm just really here to check it out. Here, check you out and check it out, and um, and you know what? I said, "Well, welcome," because you know what? I don't care why you came. I mean, I think some of the things I did, I did it just to get people off my back. I got sick of them asking me to do it. Now, I'm not proud of that either. But I think, but you know what? Once I did it. My eyes are open. Sometimes people come for the wrong reasons or just, you know, they, they just they just do. I don't care why anybody comes. I think here, I don't know whether they were converted or whether they were nosy. I don't really care. They just heard and they wanted to find out and they, they made the attempt to come. And then, you know what, I, I always think, and then once I get them in the chair... The Lord will do the rest. Because he does. Yeah. We, we can, people come and we can do, we can ourselves do things for not the right reason. Or, and no one knows, but we think we're, we're camouflaging it. But, but the Lord knows. And I think he, this helps me to see, sometimes we don't know that maybe the whole reason was wrong. But they're there, and then there at least is an opportunity to hear. He said, it went to Philip. I didn't know Philip had a Gentile name, a Greek name. I didn't know that he had he had a Greek name. So um, for that reason, they went to Philip thinking maybe he will understand us more. Because Philip 
was a Jew, but for some reason he had a Greek name. So again, there was an identifying factor. So they went to Philip and they said, we want to see Jesus. Philip then went to Andrew because Philip didn't have the answer. So he went to Philip, or Philip went to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip then, this is the best part. Philip went to Andrew. Andrew really doesn't know what to do either. So the two of them, and this should be, if you don't have the answer, where should we go? We should go to him. We should go. They went to Jesus. We've got a group of people here from, from, um, from the Greek territory, and they want to see you, Jesus. So they, they together went to Jesus, told him the truth, and then, and then Jesus, he doesn't say, oh, well, bring them over. He doesn't, it's not, he just, oh, my goodness, he goes right into this serious gospel talk. I mean, I think he's saying, listen, I have no time left for, for trivial. He gets right down to it. Remember with the shepherd and the sheep? He's saying, you know, I got one gate here. There's one gate. You can come in only by one way. And then when you get into that salvation pen, then the shepherd will call his sheep because now you belong to him. And then that, that story says, and then you, the sheep follow the shepherd's voice. That's the gospel story. It shows you just don't get yourself saved and then you can do jolly well what you want. No, you get saved through the gate. You get saved through the blood, the cross. And then Jesus says, that's not, it's just the beginning because it's not you anymore. You follow me. Now, here again, that was, that was, a, that was a direct story. Now, here again, he's, not, he's getting right to the point. Here it is. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So, you know, before it was time was short and all that, but now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat... Okay, now he's going to use another, another analogy that's so understandable by those people. So he says, unless, and you know it, if you take a kernel of wheat and you hold it in your hand, it will do nothing. But if you take a kernel of wheat and you put it in the ground and it dies, that's when, that's when the results happen. That's when many seeds are produced. So he's saying, okay, you got to, this, well, we know he was talking about himself. He had to die. He had to be buried so that then he would come to life and then produce many seeds, produce many results. You and me. <laughs> wow. 
Then he says, okay, the man who loves his life, the man who loves his life, what's he talking about? It's the person that, and maybe you've been one, maybe you are still one. Um, we know the world is full of people like this. It is all about me. And all my time and effort and everything is just all my eggs. I would, I would say this. It's like you put all your eggs in one basket. You want to be somebody. You, it is all about achieving so people can see you. Who did we say was doing that? The Pharisees. And it was ugly. But people, because they don't understand, because they don't want to, they don't want to take this so seriously, they just want to maybe get themselves saved and then don't tell me what to do. But he's saying it doesn't work that way. I have terms, and you got to follow the terms. And you can try to rewrite the terms, but it doesn't work. So he who loves his life, here, it's all about you. He says, well, you're going to lose it. <laughs> you know, it's going to be, we've talked about many times, as much as we don't want to, but we have to, because the day is going to happen that you and I will stand separately, one-on-one, -on -one, in front of our Savior. And he who has loved his life here and put all the time and effort and everything was about this life, he says, then there was no time for me. And so you're going to lose your life for all eternity. He who loves his life here will lose it. And then he says, but whoever hates his life. Now, you know how when Jesus used the word hate, you know, like hate your mother and father and brother and sister, he doesn't literally mean hate, hate the way the human brain says hate. He's saying you put it in its place. You, you keep priorities where they should be. And um, the word hate is they shouldn't be in the number one spot. So you hate your life, so you're willing to put it away from the number one spot. Because Jesus says, I'm the only one that, that needs to be or <laughs> deserves to be or should be or whatever word you want to use to be in the number one place in your life. And if he isn't, then, then you don't get this. You don't take it seriously. The cross really hasn't, hasn't um, humbled you enough to realize what you would have been or where you were going without it. It should be changing you ever more every day. But if you put him first, and once you've been to the cross, and you really do now want to live your life for him, and, and you know, it could be, it could be doing exactly what you're doing, not everybody, and it's a good thing. I was always so nervous every time missionaries came, because I always felt so convicted, and that I, I they were, they were going to 
make an altar call and I was going to have to go forward and be sent to Africa. I was sure that I was going to be sent and I didn't even want to hear him because I did not want to go to Africa. And I don't know if you ever got nervous whenever you were so afraid that the calling was going to send you to some, you know, place. I talk to people who go to Africa. They, they can't wait to go. And I'm thinking, well, good, I'm glad that's you. And it wasn't me. But see, the Lord had different plans for me. This whole thing about, about um, hating your life. And when he, when he talks about saying, um, you can have me be top priority in your life wherever you are. Because when he's top priority in your life, it affects your thinking. It affects your, um, your actions. It affects your countenance. And you can do and be just exactly what you want to be and do, but it just changes everything about how you are, who, who you are. Because it's about him, and you're doing this for him. I mean, we learn from the scripture that whatever job, whatever work we do, we should be doing it for God's glory, not for our own. So work is if you're doing it for him. I mean, no, so there's no menial job, and believe it or not, there's no, there's no higher job. Every job, from the lowest to the highest, as far as the world's concerned, and every job in between, when you do it for him, see, that's what he's saying. You hate your life. You put him there. And he just affects and permeates every part. And you can be a teacher. You can do hair. You can you can um, um, do work at the dentist. Um, whatever you can be, the housewife. You can. It just changes your whole you. It does. That's what he's saying here. So he's not sending every one of us to Africa. <laughs> He's saying, I can use you right where you love to be used. You, you're right in your little world. Go ye into all the, your little part of the world and live out this gospel. Because look at he says, whoever serves me, whoever serves me. See, this is what I was talking about a while ago. This second time, I think he's saying you serve me, but I, I want to make sure you see that follow and serve are in the same sentence. Because a lot of times our service, sometimes we serve because, well, again, our motive is for some other reason for him. I mean, we either want people to see that we're a good person or that we can let them see what we're doing. Or maybe, maybe we even say, um, no, I don't feel like doing that, but maybe if I do this service, then it will appease him. You know, the Lord could be saying to you, you know what, I really want you to forgive that person. I really want you to let this go, and I want you to go on living, or whatever. I'm using that as an example, but he, when, he, when you know he's telling you to do something, it is in the way of your relationship with him. And you know it, and, and, and you just don't want to do it. And so you think, well, maybe if I make dinner for so-and-so, then that'll be good. 
<laughs> and we learned a verse, didn't we? It's better to obey than what? Sacrifice, right? So I think when we, when we see this, he says here, whoever serves me must follow me. You must be following me, and then you will serve. Don't get the cart before the horse. A lot of times we love that cart first. And, and oh, no, it's like the horse is, we follow the horse. The cart will follow the horse. So follow Jesus and then the servant acts will happen. But then you know you're doing them for him. Not for yourself to barter yourself out or because maybe your motive is wrong. And then he says this, he says, and where I am, my servant also will be. So where I am, see, there's that relationship, that tight relationship where I am, there you will be. When you follow me, you will serve. We're just in this together. We are doing it together. You and me, you and me. That's what he's saying here. So often we've got other people. No, he says, I want it to be just you and me. And then watch everything else fall into place. But your top one number, one priority is you and me. And how much are you working at you and me? How much of our time? It's all about everything else. Said, no, no, it's you and me. The rest will happen. And then my father will honor the one who serves me. That, that, I, I hope that when you got to that line, you thought, oh, I want that. Just think, wouldn't it be something when Jesus says that my father will glorify your name? My father will glorify your name. No, no, it says, no, my father will honor the one who serves me. My father will honor the one who serves me. Should that be something we want? It should be something that we desire that the father honors those who serve him. Oh, to think that the father then will recognize you and I for what we did for his son. Verse 27, he says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Now here, this is kind of like John doesn't give a Gethsemane story like the other Gospels, but he does write this. He says, he shows us Jesus. If this was hard, and he says, his heart is troubled. In fact, in fact, John writes, Jesus even said, Father, save me from this hour. See, John is quoting Jesus. John is sitting there and he's remembering, oh, I remember when Jesus, when he was just, it was almost to the cross and he said, oh, I am, I am troubled. My heart is troubled. Father, save me from this hour. Should I say? And then I heard him say, no, no. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. This is why I left heaven. This is why I became a human being. This is why I could save you, these people, these lost sinners. And then he says, Father, glorify your name. Oh, 
you talk about an example of selflessness. You would think after he, he was, he's doing all this, he would say, uh, and glorify my name, would you? No, remember, everything he did was what his father told him. He did everything out of obedience, what his father wanted him to do for us. And he still says, Father, glorify your name through this. Let people see you through this. <laughs> Something, isn't it? Then a voice came from heaven. I've glorified it and will glorify it again. Three times Jesus hears his father's voice, his baptism, transfiguration, and here all three times is, oh, did he ever need to hear his father's voice saying, I have glorified it. crowd that was there heard it and thought it was thunder. Others thought an angel had spoken. The crowd that was there, the same crowd that had a hard time believing this, now why don't they hear that voice? Pardon me? You bet. I hope that you can see that. It's, it all sounds so muffled. Thunder. Oh, maybe it was an angel. They did. You don't know the shepherd's voice. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. I mean, just one more time that, that it would have been for them to say, you mean I could have heard that? You mean there really was a voice? I mean, ask some questions for crying out loud. Find, find that there are answers if you would just seek. So he says, and again, it's really firm. It's very firm. I mean, he, this, do you realize, John writes this. This is the last time in this for chapter 12 that Jesus is addressing the public. So that's why it is really a stern and very meaningful, intense, very intense chapter. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Now we know he didn't come the first time to judge, but he came to save. But he says here, now is the time for judgment on this world. Because when he dies, when he dies on that cross, and he is buried, and he rises, when he says time for judgment on this world and prince of this world will be driven out. Jesus' death and resurrection conquered death, conquered the devil. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, he will draw all men to myself. Another Another invitation saying, and when I do this, when I do go to the cross, when I when they do lift me up on that on that wooden cross, who is he doing it for? Who's the invitation? Who is the invitation for? Look at that. When I'm lifted up, that should draw all men. His desire is that 
every person on this earth looks to that cross because it's the only way to salvation. It's the only gate. Crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I just shook my head. I thought how many times and ways. And he knows his time is done. And they are still asking the same questions. And it's not that he made it difficult to use every analogy and every way that he could get to relate to them. And they won't. Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going, but put your trust in the light where you have it so that you may become sons of light. Again, he's saying, you know, you have this opportunity right now. So literally, he's saying, you know, I'm right here right now. Make the most of it. But I think in... in uh, He's saying to you and me, again, a reminder, don't think that this is all going to go on forever. Because there is going to be a time when it is over, and I think we've seen enough in this past week with one helicopter to show you that we have no idea how quick life can be gone. And any age... So we don't know how long that we are going to live on this earth, but the last, when you take your last breath, when you, if you have not accepted Jesus, there is, there's no return. There is, you are lost. It, there's no more chances. So he's trying to say, would you wake up? None of you know. You have little girls. You have a middle age. You've got, I mean, it can happen anytime anywhere and then if it's too late and then of course I mean we know that there will be a day when time is no more and, and the, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord and if they have not come to him as their savior they will have to face him as their judge. And you know what he will say, I never knew you. I mean, he's trying, in those couple of verses, he is saying, would you just realize, don't live like in the day of Noah, that every, every day you think it's just going to be fine and well, the sun will come up tomorrow. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in the presence, they still would not believe in him. Then John wrote, he wrote two passages from um, Isaiah. Paul used this one too, and I think to make this point, but 
Lord who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. I think here we see that, um, I mean, we know from Jesus in Matthew that he is not going to return to this earth until everyone has had a chance to hear. He's going to have revealed himself. However, Paul does say in Romans 1 that there is no one without excuse. All they have to do is look around and know and then ask. So the Lord is revealing himself to everyone. For this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah says, he has blinded their eyes, deadened their hearts, so they could neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal. I would, if they turned, I would heal them. And so people look at that, they think, well, you know, he hardened their hearts. He, um, he blinded their eyes. So how could they? This verse is judgment. Isaiah is writing that saying, you know, when it's too late, it's too late. And you know what? <laughs> he knows when, when, okay, I'm shut near their eyes. I'm going to shut their hearts. I mean, it's kind of like, like Judas. And um, remember how we saw that last week with the, with the high priest? What was his name? Caiaphas. I mean, when they, when they choose to not, and because he can see our heart and knows that we're not going to respond, he says, okay, <laughs> then. Because if they would turn, if they would turn, he would heal them. So you can't look at that verse and say, well, he did that. Well, you know what? They had it coming because they... He warned them. He offered himself to everyone. We have said over and over in, the, in this last in this study. Over and over, John has made sure we see that he came for everyone. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Oh, he sure did. Isaiah 6. You should look it up sometime. Isaiah 6. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they love praise from men more than praise from God. That is a scary passage of scripture because you can say you believe, but if you still, because you still love your life here and you still care about what people think more importantly than anything, you love the praise of men more than the praise of, from God. Is it real, really true belief? Can you, can you play both sides? Can you... Can, did he set it up? Is, is his term so that you can, you can have your cake and eat it too? It doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, oh, it says many, even among the leaders, believed in him. Believe, believe is a very, very um, big word that we've got to look at. We can say we believe and we can even get ourselves convinced a little bit, but if we are not willing to follow his instructions, follow his terms, follow the shepherd's voice, be obedient to his word, must not mean that much. It doesn't work that way. This, I feel sorry for them. 
You can't halfway believe. And the clincher was, it loved praise from men more than God. Then Jesus cried out. He cried out. We know that when he cries out, this is his last words to the public. And he knew that some were believing only part way, but, but they could not surrender at all. They could not make him Lord of their lives. They were so afraid of what people would say or because they would lose their position or they loved the praise of men now. He cried out, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. He is, he is putting it all together. I mean, he is summing it up. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. And then he, write, then he says these words, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. And, and look, who, look who the judge is. Look at here. The very word which I spoke will condemn him on the last day. So they're going to condemn themselves. Because they're going to say this. They're going to, they're going to try to say this. Well, no one ever told me. No one ever told me. And then we're going to be reminded, that person will be reminded that, oh, remember when so-and-so came? I mean, in this case, they'll say, Jesus said, oh, I came and I told you. And this is what I told you. And you heard it. And you said no. It's that no that you chose to say that's going to condemn you. So he's pretty much saying, don't blame me. I told you. You said no to my words of truth. When I said I tell you the truth, nope, you didn't want to hear. And when you don't want to hear those same words that you said no to, you, you, they're the ones that, that they'll condemn you. You know, I always, I always say, you know, when, when, I, when I'm sharing salvation with somebody and they choose to say no, you know, and I'll say this to him. I'll say, um, well, don't even bother telling the Lord that no one ever told you when you're in front of him because he's going to remind you of a blonde-haired girl that uh, spelled it out pretty plain because she didn't know how to do it any other way. And he will remind you. So, I mean, he said, and who's, so who's, who, they're being condemned by their own selves. They heard. And this is what he's crying out to them in his last public words. For I did not speak my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it, and I know that this command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And I think he pretty much said, so there. 
He told me, he took this, is what he sent me here to do, this is what he sent me to say to you, and this is what he expected, because these were his terms. Now it's up to you. So there. That's how we ended it. Heavenly Father, thank you again for being so direct and so true. And Lord, we do not want to miss. And Father, may we really think through tonight. We, are we really wholehearted? Are we really believing? Are we just uh, um, saying it and yet not, not seeing these words? Because we don't really want to go all the way in. But your terms are clear. Lord, may we sit up and take notice. And yes, we do fall off the, the right road and we go to that other road and we stumble and then may that wake us up. Lord, you're the only one that we should be following and that we should be listening to and how you can use us right where we're at with a whole different kind of attitude, with a different kind of love in our heart, with a different kind of countenance. May everything we do, whatever it is, be done for you, for your glory, because you are worthy of it all. There is power and strength and honor and hope in the name of our Savior, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.